There'll be parties where hosting rum shots are for toasting and killing things out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales that are gory of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most scariest time of the year! Welcome back to Hair the Werewolf, a weekly supernatural and horror-themed podcast. I'm Chase, and I'm here with Lily. Hey, guys. And each episode, we attempt to scare each other with research stories from around the world, and admittedly, a few that are out of this world. So take a seat, grab a drink, and join us for our Christmas episode. It's Christmas, it's Christmas. So we decided to sing a different song with our own lyrics for the intro this time instead of Carol the Bells. That was actually a suggestion from one of our listeners, so shout out to you. I think he listens. I hope he does. If not, (laughs) then he's just being cool anyway. Yeah. So unless you're listening to this episode on the 26th, it's actually 364 days till Christmas, so a little bit long. But I bet your decorations are still up, so still counts. Yeah, still counts. For those of you that had to go out and about over at any point over the last week, I'm really sorry. It's as crazy as hectic as ever. You wouldn't know that the last two years happened with how many people are out there, which is cool. Lots of stress-induced parking lots, though, and the checkout lines have been ridiculous, even at grocery stores. And that's what we're here for over at Hair (laughs) the Werewolf. A little drink and some scary stories to calm the nerves and get into the holiday spirit. And so right now, I am drinking Guinness, and Lily's drinking an IPA. Yes, it is the Mass... Wait, what is it called? Mass Mass Ascension. Ascension. And uh, my brother gave me this drink earlier today when I saw him for Christmas Eve. Boop. There we go. I am ready. Well, Guinness to me is such a winter drink. I love it. So (laughs) this is pretty exciting. So Christmas is one of the best times for scary stories. Always has been. I recently found this quote that I want to share with you because I thought it was quite awesome. This was penned by humorist Jerome K. Jerome back in 1891. Quote, it always is Christmas Eve in a ghost story. Christmas Eve is the ghost great gala night. On Christmas Eve, they hold their annual fete. On Christmas Eve, everybody in Ghostland who is anybody comes out to show himself or herself to see and to be seen, to promenade about and to display their winding sheets and grave clothes to each other. Whenever five or six English-speaking people meet around a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve, but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It is a genial, festive season, and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood. End quote. I just wanted to put that in there because... I like it. I just want to say that going back into the 1800s, people were still like, Christmas, ghost stories, they're the same thing. It it's, works. It makes sense to me. And that's kind of how we live here at <laughs> Hair of the Werewolf. All right. Well, now that we have our drinks and I have my beer, which I'm going to sip again. <laughs> Maybe we should ring the bell every time I drink. So basically <laughs> the entire episode. Okay. So let's just get into it. My story for today is The Changeling. Oh, yeah. I got inspired to do this creature after we rewatched the uh, Christmas horror story, as we do every year. And for those of you that haven't seen that movie, it's like an anthology film with a lot of different stories, Mm -hmm. and one of them does have to do with changelings. And if you don't know what that is, that's perfect. 
because Lily's got the lowdown. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, they are more popularly known from Irish and Scottish folklore, but stories that resemble a changeling can be found in many European countries. It's a fairy-like creature with very human-like features. I think many of us know about this, but in Irish lore, a fairy is not a very kind or cute thing that we often like portray in movies. Yeah, it's not like the childhood kind of no, thing. No, not like Tinkerbell, nothing like that. You know, she kind of sucked. Yeah, Let's be honest. well, in the movie, she stole a baby. She was snooty. Yeah, <laughs> she is snooty. Um, they they can be evil and wicked, and they basically would not hesitate to harm a human, for sure. I don't remember if I mentioned this fact when I covered the leprechaun, but fairies were believed to have been called Tua de Danin, who were the first tribes to arrive in Ireland. They were godlike entities that predated humans, they wouldn't be the only tribe to arrive in Ireland, and eventually there was a war between the different tribes. The Tuatha de Danann were defeated, but instead of leaving Ireland, they decided to shrink themselves and live underground. Ah, so it's a true story. It's a true story, <laughs> basically, is what I'm doing. All my stories oh, are I true. Oh, lost. Time to get short. <laughs> uh, there are many different types of fairies and creatures alike that are derived of fairy lore. Some were good, some are bad. And some keep to themselves, and others love to mingle with us humans. Those are including the changeling. Mm. Here's some descriptions. So, one of its gifts is the ability to resemble a human child. They don't really grow very large in scale. They're often depicted having beards, long teeth, have thick, giant heads, and glowing eyes. So, to me, that sounds a lot like the way I've seen leprechauns. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Because, I mean, I, I know in, like, the cliche Western depictions of them, they're always wearing, you know, like, the green outfits. But, I mean, to me, yeah, the beards, the big old heads, that seems to be the way I picture them. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah. So, they have an unquenchable appetite. They eat and drink all day. Okay, that does kind of sound like a leprechaun now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're intelligent and insightful. When they think they're alone, they'll start singing, dancing, and playing instruments. Mm. So, I don't know, it sounds like a good time. Yeah, it sounds like partiers. Yeah. <laughs> we do that too. <laughs> Maybe. We're changeless. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Having these fairy creatures roaming the woods wouldn't be an issue if it weren't for their more notable behavior, which is stealing children. If we're talking about fairies or pixies who traded their own babies... It might have been because they wanted their offspring to have a better life. A carefully chosen human mother would be able to provide the child with better um, nutrition and just a better life. In other lore, it's believed that changelings never look like they're, they've aged past childhood. So they do age, but they just don't look like it. They kind of like the elves in in like Santa Claus lore because they like always look that age. But forever. they're, yeah, they look young, but they're like mm -hmm. super old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take advantage of this fact by switching the very elderly changelings with the human child so that it can outlive its last years or, like, last months in comfort. Weird. Um, yeah, it's kind of so sad. So they're not comfortable partying and singing and dancing? Well, they can do it all their lives once you get really so they old. just want to go hang out in some, like, Thomas the Tank Engine sheets and be like, just this be is like the life. Just be, like, coddled <laughs> and, yeah, basically, I guess so. Uh, yeah, that's what they kind of just do. Uh, which is really sad because then the mother just thinks that the child died early. 
because oh. the changeling would eventually perish. But then what happens to the kid? Oh, I don't know. They just Eat keep it. it. Well, <laughs> there's something. I'm actually going to get to that. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes changelings will take a child to keep as a servant. Oh. It is possible for a changeling to love the child, but it's not, it's not that it's not as usual, but there are other reasons why they kidnap them. Mm. Um, some very nasty changelings out there steal kids just for fun and to cause harm. So, I don't know. They're kind of mean. I mean, they can't be the best slaves because they'll be slaves for a while, but at some point when they're like three times the height of the changeling, <laughs> it's like, you can't tell me what to do, man. Yeah. You're not my dad. You don't know me. I'm going to be playing Nintendo. Yes, Nintendo. Back <laughs> in like the year 300. I don't know. <laughs> Ye old Nintendo? Ye old Nintendo. Maybe it wasn't a changeling, though. There are some people that say it. I just wanted to include this fact because okay. it is talked about a lot of times. There was a time that people started to speculate that changelings were not to blame for human babies disappearing or being switched at for a doppelganger. Some believe that it was witchcraft. Uh, witches would swap the babies mm. with changelings so they could sacrifice them to the devil. So in a weird way, the changelings were also victims because they would steal the changelings to steal the human baby, which is what they wanted, and then kill the human baby because that's what you would sacrifice. And that one sounds a lot more morose. Yeah. At first when they're like, I don't think that's what's happening. The changelings aren't kidnapping. And was like, oh, is this going to be like a super like skeptic, realistic oh, answer? No. It's like, no, witches do it. It got worse. <laughs> there's more suffering. <laughs> but wait, there's witches. But wait. Uh, tips on how to prevent your child from getting abducted by a changeling include, one, the obvious, uh, one being constant surveillance. Uh, that should keep any abductor at bay, I think. They can use, or people, like parents can use items that deter changelings like hanging an inverted coat or setting iron scissors next to where the baby is sleeping. Weird. An inverted coat. Like inside yeah. out or hanging upside down? I thought inside out is what okay, I, okay. yeah, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So in Sweden, some of their stories include preventative measures that like, you know, they're like in the, within the stories in sure. Detroit or whatever. And some of them are never letting the fire in your house go out before the baby has been baptized. The water in which the newborn is washed shouldn't be thrown out. I think it's because maybe it has a scent. And so if they throw out the water outside, it'll oh. alert the changelings that a newborn is in the house. Okay, okay. That makes yeah. sense. At first, I just didn't get it. I was well, like, I mean, it's not like they know otherwise. It's not like they were invited to the birth. So they're like, oh, I smell a new baby. It's so funny because there are already parallels to your story in mind. This is awesome. No way. Perfection, Ooh. including baptism and everything. Oh, that's weird. Mm -hmm. So another thing is having a needle or a small trinket made of steel that could be attached to the diaper for protection. I've heard so many different reasons why that is. Um, one is that like steel irritates them, so they can't really hold the baby when they try to seal it. Other ones are like it somehow reflects the moon and that hurts the, the changeling there's a lot of different reasons man that's interesting considering how prevalent steel is in things now yeah you know that would be like a good argument like why don't you see changelings anymore if they really do exist i'm like well it's because steel's in everything we have it in everything yeah what if your baby wants to pierce its ears and you're like <laughs> oops <laughs> can't touch that baby <laughs> you can't touch it's that a rebel <laughs> yeah exactly so I can tell you right now that no Mexican baby is a changeling because <laughs> we get <laughs> our happens. ears we get our ears pierced pretty early in life um, let's see. If you weren't able to, to watch your baby for 24-7 like an insane person and a changeling somehow managed to switch your baby, there are some ways to recognize the signs that it is a changeling. Okay. Um, here are some of them. 
Constant eating and drinking. Ooh, yeah, we saw that in the movie. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. Uh, this may include alcohol, so if your baby is downing oh. <laughs> some whiskey, you might want to <laughs> rethink that. Uh. Just imagining you as a baby, like, <laughs> throwing your sippy cup and holding up a shot, and you're like, give it here, Percy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, give it here. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, here's another one. Crawling on the walls, making inhuman sounds. Snarling and hissing at the sight of a religious artifact or a paraphernalia. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When baptized, it begins to wail and contort in a gruesome fashion. Oh, wow. So it's like acid. Yeah. Acid. Um, <laughs> the saddest reason, though, is that it would die without a cause, which kind of leads into my next facts that I'll be sharing with you. Now, what is the meaning behind the changeling? So we've talked about, like, you know, there's just, like, evil little creatures that sometimes like to switch babies. So you mean, like, what's the explanation behind the lore? Like, why would they exist? Like, Mm -hmm. who came up with this? What's going on here? There are different theories as to why they do. Uh, Folklorist D.L. Ashleman wrote an essay called Changeling, which talked about the association of what the changeling represented in the pre-industrial European family. Poor families that struggled to get by um, day-to-day were heavily reliant on the ability to work, and this included children, so that they can help for the family survival. When there was a member of the family that was incapable of working, i.e. a baby, Mm. it became a huge burden that drained the family from its resources, uh, so much so that the baby would be viewed as a threat. As Ashlyn put it, quote, the fact that a changeling's ravenous appetite is so frequently mentioned indicates that the parent of such unfortunate children saw in their continuing existence a threat to the sustenance of the entire family. Oh, man. Yeah, Changeling's tales support their historical evidence in suggesting that infanticide was frequently the solution selected, end quote. So they're like, we can't feed ourselves, we gotta get rid of the baby. It's like, we have enough and now we have too many, almost, yeah. Infant mortality was also very high, so just like natural deaths that might occur. Stories like fairies and witches stealing their children may have been a coping mechanism. Additionally, well, yeah, it can, yeah. It can ease the blow if your kids die to be able to think anything that makes you believe that it's some other force against you. Exactly. That's going to help. That's And just something that would have already been intertwined into yep. your like stories and, and beliefs and stuff like that. You can be like, well, it's not my fault. It's not my, it's not me that did something wrong. It's the evil creature that came and stole my child. Yeah, totally. This unfortunately goes into my next thing that is really sad. Um, children that were born with a disability. Oh no. Say it ain't so. I know. Whether that was physical or mental would not have been something that was well understood or even accepted at the time. Yeah. Best way to explain this away would have been that to claim it wasn't your child. Instead, it was a much easier coping again mechanism to believe that the child was not of human parents, but in fact traded by an inferior baby from fairies that wanted a perfect child. Not so fun fact, changelings are sometimes called oafs. Um, This is when a changeling is born with a less than perfect feature. So now it's a changeling thinking there's something wrong with their baby. Uh. This motivates a fairy to make the trade. So they're like, I want a better baby. And then they steal a human child. Gotcha. Yeah. Many changelings legends have mothers finding other violent solutions when faced with a creature. One popular legend that took place in 1580 was of a woman that worked in the field harvesting crops. She had just given birth a week prior before she was asked to come back to work. Concerned about leaving the child at home, she decided to bring it with her. Um, And so while she was working, she kind of placed it in a small lump of grass. 
A while later, she returned to nurse the baby, but as soon as it started nursing, she was heard screaming and crying in despair, claiming that the baby, uh, there was something wrong with the baby. The baby made inhuman noises as it greedily drank her milk. That's another fact about uh, changelings. They're just like obsessed with drinking milk. Not knowing what else to do, she kept the baby for several days, but it was just so misbehaving and a trouble to keep around. And she was about to like basically lose her mind. So she decided to go and ask her nobleman, her like boss for advice. And he told her, (laughs) quote, woman, if you think that is not your child, then do this one thing. Take it out to the meadow where you left your previous child and beat it hard with a switch. Then you will witness a miracle, end quote. The woman did as she asked. And, you know, as soon as she started whipping that baby, the devil came out of nowhere with her actual child and said, there, you have it. And then took his own baby back. Such I don't a, know what to do with that story. I don't know. So, like, these are just really weird legends. Um, I don't know if this stems I from mean, something that might have happened actually but with a twist i mean part of me is horrified that she was like yeah i can just leave my baby in the grass go to work and come back and feed it like that's like terrible motherhood (laughs) i don't think she had a choice but then i'm also kind of shocked because she only had like five days after the baby she had to go back to work i mean i didn't know that the american maternity (laughs) leave system was employed in the 1500s yeah 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 So was the devil, like, upset? He's like, damn, that woman's whipping my baby. I might as well get it back. (laughs) I was like, wow, she's, like, way mean. (laughs) If if anyone's going to push my baby, it's going to be me. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Um, No, I don't know. So there's, like, a lot into the story. When I read it, I was like, okay, so there's a lot of issues. Like you said, she was asked to come back to work right away. So that probably added stress to her body, her mental Mm. state, and her ability to take care of her kid. So her seeing the child as maybe evil or, like, something's wrong with it, it was probably something that was just going wrong in her mind or her life. And um, maybe saying to the nobleman, I need your help or something like that could possibly have given her some sympathy and maybe relief so that she can take... I don't know. This is all speculation that I have. This is literally my opinion. Like, I didn't read this. Or anything. It's just my observation of the story. I'm like, this is already horrifying on her. So maybe she's like, look, maybe if I say my baby's crazy, maybe I'll seem less crazy. Or maybe (laughs) I am crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I just want to mention that we at Hair of the World do not condone whipping your baby (laughs) if you're worried it's a changeling. Yeah, yeah. uh, I don't recommend it. Talk to a doctor. Other advice given to women was to burn the child. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, either throw it in the fire or place it on a boiling pot. The intent was to have the changeling cry so loudly that the rightful mother would eventually show up and save it. Sadly, as I mentioned before, there have been real accounts of mothers claiming that their child was an imposter slash changeling, which often resulted in tragedy. But there have been cases where the mother was right. What? So I have a story here. I'm getting a little too crimey again, but get over it. Okay. She's looking right at me while yeah. she says it. <laughs> There's no one else in the room. Okay, so this is a very famous case of Walter Collins. On March 10th, 1928, nine-year-old Walter Collins was given some money to go to the cinema. Hours later, uh, when he didn't return, Christina Collins reported him missing. Many people tried to help and were concerned for Walter, which resulted to possibly, uh, or to a lot of sightings. So, like, reports were given And it was really hard to really determine which ones were true. However, 
One in particular caught police's attention when Walter was spotted in the backseat of a car wrapped in newspaper from the neck down. But the lead kind of died there. Then in August, about five months later, a child who was identified as Walter Collins was found. He showed up alone to authorities at an Illinois police station. Walter had disappeared in California, so it was a long way from home. Holy cow. Yeah. The child was returned to his mother, but upon reuniting, Christina uttered the famous words, I do not think that is my son. Police had questioned him for more information about his abductors, but he could not recall details. Investigators thought he looked a little different as a result of experiencing such horrible things during his kidnapping. The mother was instantly convinced that it was not her child, but investigator J.J. Jones told her, quote, try the boy out, end quote. So weird. It is so weird. Uh, So she did. So she, she like took the child home. It took only three weeks before Christina returned the boy to the police station. However, this time she brought dental records to prove that the child was an imposter, but it didn't matter. Jones accused Christina of trying to make it look like, trying to make him look like a fool and told her, quote, are you trying to shrink your duty as a mother and have the state provide for your son? You are the most cruel-hearted woman I've ever known, end quote. For her false claims, police had Christina committed to the Los Angeles County General Hospital for psychiatric treatment. Um, she was there for five days. It wasn't until she was released that Walter told her the truth. Investigators were again brought in and concluded through handwriting analysis that the boy was in fact not Walter Collins. Who was he, though? In a handwritten confession, he wrote, quote, I am not Walter Collins. My name is Billy Field. I said I was Walter Collins because I wanted to get into the movies in Los Angeles, end quote. Oh, my God. I know. But the boy had lied again because it was later revealed that his real name was Arthur Hutchins Jr. And he was actually 12 years old, not nine. And uh, was previously a juvenile criminal from Iowa who had run away from home. So he had a, like what a broken kind of rap sheet. Can you have by the age of nine? Well, he oh, was, he was, he 12. was 12. Yeah. He was but 12. I mean, but I mean, Impersonating a nine year old. That's an overachiever. You know, like when you see all those like super intelligent <laughs> kids who are taking college courses, but they're supposed to be in like fifth grade. Right. This guy was doing that, but like the wrong stuff. But the other way. <laughs> yeah. Hutchins then said he only pretended to be Walter Collins after he was identified by someone at a diner. So he didn't really, it's not that he didn't want to, he didn't like plan this. It just kind of fell into his hand. He's like, okay. Uh, He went along with it because again, he wanted to get away from home. What's that? Such a con. Very much a con man behavior. He was able to pose as Walter easily because he received information from police when he was being questioned. And, (laughs) (laughs) and he was allowed to read a lot of the letters that Christina had written to him after she was informed of his findings. So she had like written to him or whatever. After the truth was exposed, Christina sued J.J. Jones for false imprisonment, which uh, she did actually was awarded $10,800, but he never paid. So he's kind of a jerk. More importantly, Walter was still missing. Without going into much detail, a couple, a man and a woman, who were later responsible for some other crime called the Wineville Chicken Coop murders, admitted to also killing Walter's. However, no, yeah, I know, sorry. Um, No physical evidence was ever recovered, so we can't like 100% say it's true or not, so we don't know. This is a very famous case, and in fact, it was made even more famous because in 2008, Clint Eastwood directed an adaptation of this story called 
Changeling and starred Angelina Jolie. Do you remember that? I kind of remembered I when I read remember that. that. Yeah. So when this came out, I actually didn't know what a Changeling was back in the day. And then, yeah. So when I, I saw this, it. I was like, oh, yeah. Clint Eastwood's an amazing director. I mean, I don't know if I would like talking to him in real life. Because uh-huh. our personalities wouldn't mesh, but God, he's a great director. <laughs> Look, I don't want to be friends with people who make entertainment. I just want to hear and like watch them do cool stuff. Now, if you think you're safe from changelings or other fairies just because you're no longer a baby, <laughs> think again. <laughs> I was going to be like, because we don't have kids. You're like, no, no, no. Nope. You. No, you. <laughs> Some fairies would steal young adult humans to marry or to have babies with. This included both men and women. There was just one problem. Since changelings could only look like children, uh, something else needed to appear as the imposter. Luckily, fairies were able to enchant a wooden log to appear as a human. It would, of course, lack human emotions or like other normal behaviors. So eventually, um, what they would also enchant in the wood before anyone really caught on was that they would get really sick and then die. Like the imposter, like the wood... <laughs> So wait, I, you know what I'm saying? I, I this story has gotten me really confused. Okay, so I, I'm sure all the listeners totally get it, but I'm let's weird. let's rewind. So you said changelings want to have babies with humans. Yeah, so they'll like steal a human to if they if they saw a human that was like super beautiful, and they're whatever. like, I want to have babies with them, so I'm gonna make a log look like a person and seduce them or something. No, no, no. no. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just can... seeing people riding logs going, this is disgusting. No, what's, no, no. What's going on? I think I, I, okay, I must have said it horribly wrong. I'm so sorry. So they would be like, wow, Chase, you're so fine. I need to have a baby with you. I've heard this before. So, <laughs> <laughs> so continue. What, the, what would happen next is they'd be like, we need to steal Chase. But then they're like, but people are going to notice he's gone. So we need to like put something in in place but we can't put it changeling because they all look like babies oh so you're putting like a a decoy so people it's a decoy an imposter like something yeah okay okay, so this is really funny because i just watched one of the santa claus sequels oh yeah and uh in it tim allen who plays santa has to get married or he loses being santa but they make a fake like wooden santa to take his place And he turns out to be, like, a fascist dictator and wants to, like, ruin oh, the North Pole and everything nice. like that. Which I thought was pretty weird. And for all you Marvel fans, uh, Nick Fury regularly has a fake version of him running around, and they're called life model decoys, and they're, like, fake robots, and it always goes wrong. Well. That was your daily dose that's, of nerd. That, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so that's what they're doing. They're just putting decoys, basically. All right. So, yeah, I was getting confused. I was like, are they getting them to, like, have babies <laughs> with the wood? No, no, no. I said this incredibly wrong before. No. So like then, but see that here's the thing the the changelings would know one, they're going to notice it's not like them because a changeling could at least like kind of figure out like, oh, maybe I should start doing this to be more human like or whatever. But a piece of wood wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what happens? Sometimes I wake up and I look at my wife and I go... (laughs) Is that some wood? Is that- or is my wife just really oh still right now? Funny you should say. <laughs> because this brings me to my next case, Bridget Clearly, which is like a really famous case in Ireland. Bridget Boland, who was which was her maiden name, married her husband, Michael Cleary, on August 6, 1887. Okay. 
As the years passed, Bridget was known to being very independent. She was a businesswoman by selling eggs, and she made dresses and hats that she also sold. Cool. It was not common at the time, so people were like, oh, how modern. The couple was well off, especially since Bridget was bringing in a lot of money. This allowed them to also basically live in a nice home. Sure. In the eight years they were married, they never had children, so this made the couple even stranger at the time. Most people say that their marriage was very happy, but others were like, yeah, there was some tension, particularly because Bridget was so independent. Bridget would often make home deliveries of her products, so she'd like deliver eggs or like some address or something like that, which Michael did not really like. On March 4th, 1895, Bridget was delivering eggs to her father's cousin on her own, as she has done plenty of times. She had done the three-mile walk before as well, so she knew the path pretty good. Sure. And she also knew that in this path, she would have to basically pass a ferry fort. (laughs) Um, No girls allowed. Yeah. (laughs) No boys allowed. Um, I had to look this up. I didn't know what a ferry fort was. It's basically, Who does? <laughs> I, I don't know. Some people, maybe. Uh, <laughs> there are circular stones uh, from old dwellings way back in the time of the Iron Age, I guess. Mm-hmm. They have since long been abandoned, obviously. And since then, it's believed that fairies overtook residents there and now live in these ancient forts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, when Bridget returned home, she mentioned that she had, like, she had. She was feeling weird. She was kind of cold. She couldn't get warm. In the following days, Bridget got worse and fell very ill. It took the doctor nine days before he could see her. He finally diagnosed her with having, quote, nervous excitement and slight bronchitis, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor gave her some medicine and wished her well. (laughs) Some cocaine, I assume. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're diagnosed with nervousness and bronchitis, but mostly nervousness. Mostly nervous. Cocaine should fix that. (laughs) Michael, on the other hand, was growing suspicious. He started believing that Bridget didn't quite look like herself. Mm. He claimed that she was two inches taller and too fine to be his wife. Uh, Woof. Wow. (laughs) That's so fucking rude. Yeah, that marriage has issues. Yeah. Michael went to a fairy doctor who confirmed his suspicions. That night, he performed an exorcism and forced her to drink a bitter concoction, threatened her with a hot poker, and burned her forehead, all while she was being held down by other men. Witnesses claimed she was wild and deranged, but I'm pretty sure she was just scared out of her mind. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to handle that situation. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, it's cute. Yeah, give me some more of that weird drink. And we already know the husband's an asshole. Oh, yeah, he's totally not a cool person. By the end of the night, Bridget calmed down and the house fell silent. Michael thought, well, the exorcism worked. That is, until the next day, Bridget made the mistake of requesting milk, which I've mentioned before. Uh, Changelings changelings are obsessed. Basically, Michael was back at it again. (laughs) (laughs) He forced her to eat weird things, hoping to expel the evil out of her. After some time of torture, relatives tried to stop him. So there were actually people at the house like witnessing this entire thing. But he insisted that she wasn't his wife. He eventually became enraged when Bridget refused to answer any more of his questions. Just probably exhausted or just like, it doesn't matter what I say. He proceeded to douse her in oil and set her on fire. Oh my God. 
After Bridget died, he took her body and buried her a shallow grave about like a half mile from the cottage. Michael waited three days for the fairies to return his real wife, but instead, authorities showed up at his door. (laughs) (laughs) Not Um, what he was looking for because he's a crazy man. Because he's insane. Him and seven other men involved were charged and found guilty of manslaughter. Good. Yeah, so it is good, but to this day, it really is debated whether or not Michael believed his wife was a changeling. When when you do read more about the case and, like, his behavior, there are factors that could be argued on both sides. Um, it's just bizarre either way how far he took it. I yeah, don't the know. whole story sounded terrible. It's almost like he was deranged and he just... He was maybe paranoid, yeah. and this poor woman suffered because he was a psycho. He could have been, like, deteriorating over time, maybe, but we don't know a lot about that. Like, people say, well, he's very science-minded. He actually didn't believe in fairies, but then, so then why did he start believing in fairies? We have no idea. And there wasn't a lot of, like, psychoanalysis at the time. There wasn't, like, oh, get your FBI agent who can, like, read people and or your therapist. Nope. It's just, like, dude burned his wife alive that's all we know man the number of horrible things that happen to people because they happened in a time before we had laws and protections it's pretty shocking and it makes me wonder what we have going on now that like people in the future can be like i can't believe we let that happen and i was like damn i wonder what that was <laughs> oh my god so many things so i basically gave you the top news stories of changelings actually basically integrating into our real life and causing harm and a little anecdote of what changelings are all about. So I don't know. Um, people still actually believe in these creatures, but fairies in general. So it's not just like changelings themselves, but they do believe in fairies. And so I just thought, hey, let me learn a little piece of that. And here we go. Well, I will admit, I find the idea of a changeling very terrifying. Um, I don't believe in them, but I do think the idea is terrifying because if even you had a partial belief that this could happen, you know, one day, you know, you and me mm-hmm. as as a married couple, we have off days where we've gotten really good at noticing and being able to tell each other I'm feeling off today. But, you know, that's because at least in that respect, we have communication. But you can imagine throughout history with millions of people, they don't have that kind of communication about that specific thing. Right. It's almost like my wife's acting weird today. My husband's acting weird today. And all of a sudden you're just like, this is weird. And then you kind of hold on to it and you kind of grudge it. And then all of a sudden it's like, yep. I don't think that's my husband anymore. I don't think that's my wife anymore. And you could see how it might descend into this really bizarre, paranoid delusion. And it could just be really dangerous. I mean, this is one of those concepts, the concept of a changeling, that you're better off never having heard it because the minute you've heard it, it's now in your consciousness. Right. You now know this idea. And so if you're one of the people who has the ability to believe in it, it could just ruin things. It's actually very terrifying. It's very terrifying. And I think our most modern format of this in my opinion, are exorcisms. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, a demon or terrible spirit invading a human mind or body or whatever. And then, like, instead of being like, oh, maybe they need, like, a doctor or they're suffering from this or that. But I would even argue that the modern versions that we've seen of exorcisms are a much friendlier concept because with those, the idea is that someone's latched onto your loved one and your loved one is still in there. That is your loved one's body. They are in there, and yeah, there's a demon on. But with a change in the idea is that's not the person I know. That's a demon. We can kill that one because the real one's somewhere else. That's more dangerous. That's what happened to that woman. That's what happened to her. Yeah, but he kind of left her alone that one time, thinking like, "Oh, the first exorcism worked." So he was kind of doing things weird. 
I get that, but let's just put yourself in that shoes. Would you rather people think you're possessed and do exorcisms on you, or would you rather them think you're a changeling and be willing to kill you and hope the real you comes out of nowhere from later on? Yeah, well, that was like the later result. So I don't think that was a whole process in his head. Mm-hmm. I think the changeling in general, like if someone actually thought you were a changeling, well, duh, it's going to be scarier. No question. Yeah. Um, but with an exorcism, people have certainly died. I mean, you covered a story where... There was that poor young girl whose family like drowned her basically because they kept feeding her water or something. Oh, yep, yep. That was I can't remember horrible. why, but yeah. So I think it was like she was possessed by a spirit. They believe she was possessed. Yeah, that was one of the one of the ones that the horror stories from an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of your tiki terrors. And yeah. so I just remember that and I'm like, dang, that wasn't even that didn't even have to do with specifically demons or you know, Catholicism or like that I hear in Mexico or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought this story was going to be a lot more fun. I'm not going to lie. Like I went into it. I'm like, ooh, changelings are so cool. And like, you know, yeah, they still babies. But like, I want to, I want to hear more about it. Like, what do, what do they do on their off time? So, um, yeah, it kind of turned out to be like basically an, an excuse for terrible human behavior. I think it's like fuel, just paranoia fuels. Yeah, those. exactly. <laughs> I don't know. You're you're like, oh, it wasn't fun, but to me, I'm actually finding the concept of it terrifying. I it's, think that was no, no, no. I meant this was like, a great story. I just I've I've covered other cryptids that I think are just like, oh, <laughs> bat squatch, you crazy like fiend who's just flying in the sky. But this one's real. But this one's like really scary and affected yeah, a lot of humans. Killing anyone? No. This people died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is no bad squatch. <laughs> All right. That was good. All right. So changeling. Well, I think we need to take a quick break and get more drinks on so that we change into the drunk versions of ourselves. Woo-hoo. We'll be back in a few. <laughs> Welcome back. And I have my new drink. I am still drinking the beer, but I thought, let's get a little crazy. And now I have a shot of rum. So here we are. And we're totally recording this on Christmas Eve. So oh, yeah. you're, you're working on a good <laughs> Christmas morning right now. Yes, I am. So I have a few appropriately themed holiday stories to tell you. So be prepared. <laughs> My first story is far from a tall tale, although it may include elements that historians would debate. The end result, though, is a real tradition that continues to this very day. It's one that I had not heard of to this point, and I'm pretty sure people will either find it bizarre, creepy, or even gross. Oh. As many, if not most of you know, Santa Claus owes a portion of his origin to St. Nicholas, a Christian bishop born in the 3rd century. He is known to have given gifts to the needy and poor, often at night through open windows and such, and even one story involving putting gold in a stocking that was drying near a fireplace. These traditions evolved over the centuries into the bearded jolly man that kids revere in the modern era, and it grabbed elements from other traditions as well, of course, and even some good old-fashioned capitalist marketing from Coca-Cola at some point. (laughs) Although Santa is now synonymous with Christmas, many religious traditions still very much celebrate a more orthodox or traditional view of St. Nicholas. You see, St. Nicholas did far more than give gifts away, even though that's what he is most known for today. He was involved in a considerable number of miracles throughout his life, probably what helped him become sainted, Mm -hmm. or or turned into a saint, I should say. (laughs) A particularly unsettling one involves three theology students staying at a less than wholesome inn for the night. The innkeeper snuck in at night and killed all three students (sighs) by smothering them with a pillow so he could steal their money. Oh, rude. St. Nicholas arrived at the inn the next day, 
and he was unconvinced of whatever foul story the innkeeper had claimed happened. St. Nicholas brought all three students back to life. Oh, my God. And accused the innkeeper of murder. Whether or not you believe that story, it does paint him to be quite a badass. Are you resurrected yeah. people? Not what? just giving gifts. He's like, you get a present, you're good. Oh, you're good? I'm going to bring you back to life. So, Jeez. Yeah. St. Nicholas died on December 6th, 343. His body was entombed in a church in Myra. Now, unlike most tombs, this one began to, well, I don't know if a leak is the right <laughs> term. <laughs> what? But water began to emerge or trickle out of the tomb. Oh, that's nasty. The water apparently was very pure and smelled sweet. They called it manna with two ends, so different than what, you know, Land. RPG people yeah. do, but... And followers claimed that the water had healing properties. Oh, that's so gross. It would be easy to assume that it may have been placed near a natural spring or water flow. That's oh, probably what's sure. happening. But about 700 years later, in the year 1087, the tomb was moved hmm. to Bari, Italy. Allegedly, the water continued to flow <gasps> from the tomb, even what? though it had been moved. That is, of course, assuming that they aren't lying in hopes of continuing the miraculous properties of the tomb, of course, blah, blah, blah. That's not meant to be said disrespectfully. It's just to cover bases. Right. Well, every year since, every year since 1097, on the anniversary of the tomb's move, something rather weird happens. And so this is it. The, quote, stone sarcophagi is opened. In the crowded crypt, the Archbishop of Bari extracts one or two glasses of water formed during the year around the saint's bones. A father of the Dominican community pours this manna into large containers of blessed water, making a large quantity to fill small bottles in order to satisfy their quests of sick people and pilgrims, end quote. Okay. So every year to this date, it happens now. It, it's like gonna, on Christmas. It happened last May. It's going to happen again in May. Oh, well, oh in May. May. I thought so it was he Christmas. died around Christmas. Oh, oh okay. That's why okay. it's kind of celebrated. But the tomb was moved in May, so they celebrated that. Oh, uh, I see. I see. Every year, and I saw a video of this. What? They go into the sarcophagi. You don't get to see what's happening in the sarcophagi, but you see, like, the archbishop's, like, kind of going into a hole. And you see his, like, butt hanging out. Right. Like, like, like his b- bottom end, I guess. And he comes out with, like... Two containers with water in them. What? And it's that like is so weird. Yeah. With no intent of being rude or judgmental, this whole thing kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I don't know why. Nothing. Drink nothing that water. says Christmas like eggnog and corpse juice. Mm, give me that juice. I'm sure people who already knew about this, it's not terrifying because it's shocking how many traditional things people do actually do sound appalling when you've mm-hmm. never heard them before, but. The idea that water is flowing around the bones. I mean, I can see how that might be a miraculous thing, but there's just something about it that really kind of grosses me out. Yeah, I mean, it's human stuff. And it's getting into the water, and you're supposed to be like, I guess, getting said water and using it for healing powers. I mean, And so since you can't actually see what he's doing, you don't know if, like, it could be like a thousand-year-old ruse where the water didn't flow because they had put the tomb on there, but right. they're doing it to kind of keep tradition alive. I don't know if that's what's actually happening. That's true, I don't know if yeah. there's water. Maybe this is a truly miraculous thing, but that's definitely 
takes a Christian point of view to a very Christian saint. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was pretty interesting that you have Santa who came from old St. Nick and there are Jeez. people to this day claiming to drink water that pools around his bones. Santa water. That's <laughs> Santa water. <laughs> Sounds way better to me. I think that's supposed to be an ad for Coke. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> maybe that's what he was trying to give us. He's like, yes, Coca-Cola drink my soda. So take that as you will. Now, my next story is far more in line with the things that go bump in the night and is actually quite a fitting tale for the name of our podcast and imaginary pub, Hair of the Werewolf. It was also heavily derived from the Wikipedia entry, so thanks to all the people who contributed to that. This is a (laughs) heavy Wikipedia one, but it was actually a really good Wikipedia entry, so now you guys don't have to look it up. Just let me uh, dictate it to you with my wonderful voice. Hell yeah, well done. I want to tell you about a delightfully creepy cryptid that terrorizes humanity during the holiday season. I want to tell you about the Calicantzeroi. What? Yes, this, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, I watched a lot of videos to see, and it seems like for the most part, people are pronouncing it Calicantzeroi. Okay. A Calicantzeros, so Calicantzeroi is the plural, Calicantzeros refers to a singular one. So a Calicantzeros is a wolf-like goblin from southeastern European folklore. The specifics of the story range depending on what region you are talking about, be it Greece, Bulgaria, Bosnia, Cyprus, Turkey, and many others nearby. Okay. One popular theory as to the origin of the name is that it is derived from the Turkish words kara meaning black and konkolos meaning bloodsucker or werewolf. (laughs) In Greek, Calicantzeros can be used to also refer to gnomes and goblins in a more general way as well. Okay. The Greek version of the tale claims that these creepy creatures live far under the ground most of the year. They are diligently sawing at the world tree in an effort to fell it, which would bring earth to ruin. Apparently, it takes them a whole year for them to get close to succeeding, (laughs) and when they are almost done with their diabolical task, something changes on the surface. Christmas and the winter solstice comes. More Uh, specifically, the 12 days of Christmas, which go from December 25th to January 6th. This unique event serves as an opening or opportunity for the Kalikatzeroi to come to the surface and torment humanity, primarily at night, according to legend at least. Mm. Delighted at the prospect, they stop sawing at the world tree and wreak havoc for nearly two weeks. When the sun begins to change its position in the sky and the nights grow shorter, the Calicantzeroi must retreat back underground to continue sawing at the tree. Okay, so they they just like to party during the day. They like to go, well, at night. Oh, at night. Yeah, the night is when they like tormenting people. Oh, tormenting. So that's when they have fun and yeah. like do their wickedness. Exactly. So at the end of the 12 days of Christmas, they have to go back underground. They're like, oh, we're going to continue sawing the uh, tree. Oh, okay. Only in their absence, the tree has healed itself, thus beginning the vicious annual cycle of working most of the year <laughs> and then parting too hard and uh, having to redo it. Uh, this story sounds familiar. I've been there. <laughs> are, are we them? Wait a minute. Are we the baddies? Apparently, we're just every cryptid out there. <laughs> It is also said that children who are born during the 12 days of Christmas were at risk of becoming the Calicantzeroi when they become adults during the season. Mm. Of course, out of fear, people resorted to barbaric practices such as singeing the baby's toenails to try and prevent this. Oh, what? I, however, think this might stem from something far more basic. Kids born around Christmas often get shafted with their presents. <laughs> um, Vivi. <laughs> 
So when they, they become adults, I think out of bitterness, they just drink and party extra hard during the holidays. Sure. And people just can't handle the partying, so they're like, they're demons. They're goblins. demons, obviously. But I digress. <laughs> In response to the hellish antics of the Kelly Canceroy, People have adopted various methods to protect themselves should one attempt to come in their home. One, which people might find familiar, is to keep a fire burning throughout the 12 days of Christmas in an effort to keep them from coming down the chimneys. For sure. To take it one step further, some would burn foul-smelling shoes in the fire as a deterrent. (laughs) Apparently, they don't like smelly feet. I had one friend back in the day whose feet could have been used as chemical weapons. And I got to say, you don't have to be one of these goblins oh. to be repelled by nasty foot odor. Right. So. I think that's just general. Yeah. I mean, and plus, that means that people have to smell it when they're burning in the house. Ugh. It's awful. Another tradition involved people throwing a syrup-filled pastry called a locumatis. I, I, I apologize for my pronunciation. If I'm pronouncing it right... So they threw these pastries Mm -hmm. on the roof. They don't just throw them on the roof like Walter White did in Breaking Bad either. They have have to sing a song while they do it. And that together is said that the little goblins will eat the food and then leave your house alone. Okay, so so that's kind of like... Sounds like an offering more. kind of gave you something, leave us alone. Yeah, like an offering. That's exactly... But they have to sing a song. Apparently you have to sing the song as well. I don't know what the song is. They didn't give me a name or anything like that, but... I think that's fun. I think people, when they give me food, they should also sing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, uh, just tell everyone it's your birthday when they come there. Just all the time. Exactly. Make it a party. My favorite method of keeping the Calicantzeroy at bay, however, focuses on how stupid they allegedly are. It is said that they can only count to two, and if they were to ever count to three, which is a holy number, it would Mm. cause the creature to kill itself. What? So in a battle of wits, people would leave a colander out on their doorstep. Intimidated by the number of holes in it, the Calicanceroi were believed to sit at the doorstep counting the holes all night in vain, unable to go above two. And the task would keep them busy until the sun would rise, causing them to flee. Oh, okay. That actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the boo hag that she had to count like mm-hmm. the straws in a whatever, a broom or something because she's insane. It makes me wonder if... What is it about counting? I wonder if it's because counting is actually, it is a difficult thing for everyone to learn at, at first, you know, because it's abstract concepts and everything like this, that a lot of these stories tend to demonize people who struggle with that stuff. It's pretty unfair. Man. So there are other versions of this story as well. In Serbian folklore, the Kalikantzeroi are small, fat, and unsightly, more typical of the goblin image most people imagine today when you hear those words. The 12 days of Christmas time frame used to be referred to as the unbaptized days. These are believed to be a time of high paranormal and demonic activity. People would spend more time indoors, rarely traveling outside late at night for fear that one of these creatures would latch onto their back. This hellish piggyback ride would continue until dawn and the victim would be forced to carry the Calicantzeroy wherever it wanted and wherever it beckoned. Uh As is typical, those that were captured were often those of low moral character. Late night activities have always been the domain of sinister deeds, and this version of the Calicantzeroy seems to indulge in that notion. Adulterers were seen as the people most likely to be up to no good at night. So the story could be seen as a cautionary tale for those engaging in extramarital sex. 
<laughs> oh, okay. It was not my fault. It's a killer canter. <laughs> it's like, were you cheating on me? Then why is there someone on your back? Yeah. I can see them right there. <laughs> the Turkish version of this creature is particularly unnerving. Known as the Karan... I can't do this. Holy crap. <laughs> Karan Konkolos oh. in the Anatolian region. This version of the creature is seen to be covered in hair and is quite large. I even heard it mentioned Sasquatch-like. Uh, oh, nice. They also appear around the same time of year, only in this culture the time is 10 days long and is known as the Zemheri, which means the dreadful cold. Mm -hmm. Instead of invading your home, these creatures are known to stand on dark corners and shady areas of town. When people would pass by, they would run the risk of being asked a question by one of these oh. creatures. If you ignored it or failed to answer, you ran the risk of it killing you on the spot. Holy shit. However, if you answered, you might have a chance to escape. They are said to be good at imitating voices, too, allowing them to bring in even the most cautious of oh, bystanders. hell no. I totally would be lured. I already know it. There are actually many other versions of this creature from Bulgaria, Albania, and other places, but I decided to keep it to the ones I could find the most information on. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> most of these stories seem to work as cautionary tales about being out at night or in seedy areas. I imagine that much like today, the holidays were a time of rampant drinking and partying, which could lead to other forms of debauchery. The Calicanzeroi is a fitting way to try to keep those people in line during the longest nights of the year. That's super cool. I love it. So those are my two little Christmas horror stories. Christmas for horror you. creatures. Heck yeah. So that like <laughs> need not I say anything. <laughs> um that reminds me of a of the cryptid I covered a while ago. Um it was called the Kuri, I think. Do you remember that? It does sound familiar. That was like episode a hundred million years ago. Yeah, so, we do a lot of stories, so sometimes. So it lived in the moors, and if you walked off the path, it would, like, latch onto you. Oh, see, that and sounds you, Yeah, you start to, like, hallucinate, and it's because it, like, possessed you kind of thing. But it kind of latches on your back, too. Like, you can only see them, or you start visualizing them. I can't remember the whole story anymore, because it was, like, a long time ago. But, yeah, that was totally um, a little reminiscent. And you're right, it did kind of, like, go into the changelings thing. So it's so uh, weird. A little bit. There it seems like a lot of cryptids have a lot of connections, and I, I don't know if it's because they have a shared past coming from a singular story or if they all just tie into a lot of common human fears and paranoias. So when they manifest, we see the similarities in what they do or what they what kind of fear they inspire, but yeah. everything else is kind of different. Could go either way. I, I, bet, I bet there's people who get it. paid to figure this out. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I freaking love these stories. They were so fun. See, this is what I was looking for. The fun. <laughs> and I gave it to and you. And you gave it to me. You brought the fear uh, and I brought the fun. There you go. But I think that brings our Christmas episode to a close. So thank you guys for joining us at Hair of the World. We want to wish you all a happy holiday season, be it Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or any other awesome celebrations that you have. To any new listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. And make sure to catch our next episode or deep dive into any of our other 80-plus episodes. And for our longtime listeners at work or driving, have a safe day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope your tomorrow isn't too rough. But if it is, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. <laughs> Bye.